Welcome to the Training Industry Podcast, the most trusted source of information on the business of learning. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of the Training Industry Podcast. I'm Taryn Aish, editor at trainingindustry.com. Hi, I'm Scott Rutherford, also from Training Industry. Our guest today is Dr. Tom Whalen, Director of Corporate Research here at Training Industry, where his work focuses on learning and development research to inform workplace training practices. Tom is here to talk to us about some research he recently completed on updating the 70-20-10 model. Tom, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. We'll get that conversation started in just a minute after this. As a training professional, your job is to effectively manage the business of learning. You probably listen to this podcast to gain insights on L&D trends being used by some of the most innovative thought leaders in our market. But did you know that training industry also provides data-driven analysis and best practices through our premium research reports? Our entire catalog, including reports on topics such as deconstructing 70-20-10, women's access to leadership development, learner preferences, and the state of the training market, just to name a few, can be found at trainingindustry.com slash shop research. New insights create new ways for L&D to do business. Let Training Industry Research Reports assist you in taking your learning initiatives to new heights. Go to trainingindustry.com slash shop research to view our entire catalog. So to start off, what is the 70-20-10 model? So originally the 70-20-10 model um, is something that was uh, created uh, based on data that was collected in the, in the late 80s um, by a group of researchers led by Morgan McCall at the Center for Creative Leadership in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, so what they had done, uh, they, they had conducted a study where they asked 191 successful executives um, to reflect on key events in their career and, and to, to tra- talk about things that made a difference in the way that they manage now. Uh, so they asked them what happened, what did they learn from it, um, and about a decade later, after the initial tech report um, was completed, uh, some of the authors of that original study um, summarized the findings by saying, you know, the, the lessons learned by successful managers roughly fall along a, a 70-20-10 ratio. So 70% of the uh, of the learning that these executives talked about came from from stretch assignments and tough jobs. Uh, roughly 20% came from other people, mostly uh, the supervisors or you know whoever they reported to, and 10% came from from courses and and reading. Um, so the original 70-20-10 model is is really just this ratio uh, that's that's an approximation of of where successful managers in the late 80s uh, where they tended to learn things. So how are so people using 70-20-10 in the real world now? So so people have have taken taken this model that was originally intended uh, only to describe the experience of executives, uh, and they've taken this this ratio of learning sources and applied it basically everywhere else. Um, now, my understanding uh, of it is that that assumption hasn't necessarily ever been tested. Uh, if you go to the academic research, Seventy twenty ten isn't mentioned anywhere. There's there's all sorts of things on leadership experience and the importance of it, um, but this this ratio uh, or this this golden ratio of L and D, if you will, um, has has kind of gotten gotten an application uh, that that's extended far and wide without any real justification for does it work for employees of all levels? Does it work if we're talking about uh, introducing e learning into sales training? Um, and there's, there really hasn't been a lot of justification behind it, but that hasn't necessarily stopped people 
uh, from using this model as a as a guideline uh, through which to, to structure uh, their L&D function. Uh, so I guess based on that, um, you launched this new research. Can you talk about the new model and, and what went into developing it? Sure. Um, so for, for our new research, uh, we surveyed a little over 1,500 uh, employees of, of all levels, managers, executives, um, and non-managerial employees, uh, and, and asked a, a similar type of, of question to what was asked in the original study, um, where we wanted to get people's take on where they tend to learn things on, on the job. Um, so from the uh, culmination of, of all those answers, uh, we came up with what we're calling the 55-25-20 model. Um, a, s- a couple more syllables, but the numbers are still nice and round. Um, and and what, what that represents is, is our updated ratio uh, for, for how companies uh, are operating now or, or where employees are seeing their learning taking place uh, in the here and now with, with all the technological advancements um, and all the, the increased investment that there's been in, in training uh, at companies since the late 80s. So how do you see the effectiveness of training differ uh, based on the uh, delivery method, whether it's formal, um, um, social, or on the job? So in, in, the, in the study, one of the things that, that we looked at were the correlations between uh, ratings of training effectiveness uh, and these, these three uh, sources of, of learning. Um, and so what we, f- what we found, uh, or how, how everything appears to, re- uh, to relate to each other, um, is that when you have more effective training, employees are learning more from formal training um, and also from social sources, and they're learning less from on-the-job experiences, which makes complete intuitive sense. If you think about you know, a company with good training, where am I going to learn the most things? It's going to be from being in the classroom uh, or engaging with e-learning and, and all sorts of other content. Um, you know, peers and colleagues are doing the same thing, so where's a lot of that learning going to take place? You know, it, it's either going to be directly from the training or from, from osmosis, from, from the people around you, and maybe less so from, from on the job. Uh, on the flip side of that coin, if training isn't very effective, well, employees are kind of left to fend for themselves a little bit more, um, so more learning tends to come from on-the-job assignments. So there aren't as many uh, formal or, or social sources to, to turn to. Uh, and did you look at uh, different generations or age groups and whether the, the sources of their learning differed? Uh, we did. Um, so what, what we found um, is that by, by age, uh, there's a, there was a marked difference for, for on-the-job learning and for social learning, um, but no difference for, for formal training. So employees of, of any generation, um, there's really no difference, uh, at least in, in the, the data that, that, uh, that we collected, uh, no difference in, in how formal training contributes um, to, to learning. Uh, now, the, what, we, what was interesting is that we found the older that somebody is, uh, they're slightly less likely uh, to learn from social sources and slightly more likely to learn from on-the-job sources. Um, and it's worth noting, too, that when we looked at age uh, in this report or in this research, um, we, we didn't divvy people up into small categories. We, we looked at age kind of continuously. Um, the logic behind that being you know, for something like the, the boundary between Generation X and millennial employees, um, you know, if, if you call that cutoff the birth year of, I don't know, depending on who you ask, it could be 1980, could be 1982, 
Um, and so when you divvy people up into categories, you know, you're, you're sort of setting these artificial boundaries. And can you make the argument that somebody born in 1979 has a worlds apart, different experience of, of growing up and, and, and being at work um, and their life experiences than somebody born in 1983? I mean, it's the difference of, of four years. Big difference when you're young, not all that much of a difference uh, when, when you get older. Um, so, so to avoid the, uh, uh, the, the logical problems, I guess, with, with saying you know, that, that these two people born, born just a few years apart are just as different as, as you know, a, a different set of people born 15 years apart that may also fall into those categories. Uh, to avoid all that, we just looked at age uh, as a continuous variable, which is a really boring way to say we didn't dice people up into groups. So one way to look at this, arguably, would be to say that uh, because formal learning uh, makes up such a small percent of the model that it's not important, but, you know, that somehow goes against what we all know is, is, is true in corporate learning, that formal training is the foundation or the core of, of what we're doing. So how do you reconcile those two ideas? So what, what's most striking to me is that in the original, um, the original research done by, by Center for Creative Leadership, even though formal training kind of got the, the least amount of praise, um, it, it was identified as, as, as much more of a crucible experience for a lot of leaders, um, you know, that, that, that they then took whatever, whatever they learned in that, in that training experience, and, and that was what gave them the foundation to, to excel in the job. That, that's what gave them the skill set or the, uh, the knowledge and tactics that they needed uh, to to handle the the tough assignments that, according to to that ratio, made up seventy percent of of their learning. Um, so our position uh, on the importance of formal training. I mean, a in our model, it's it's more important than suggested by uh, by the the original ten percent um, of the model. Um, but what what we tended to find uh, is that there's there's a there's a lot of variance um, around each of these numbers. Uh, so it's it's unfair to say that 10% is kind of a, a number. It doesn't, you know, it's not going to change. Employees are only going to learn from 10% of the training. Um, we found that this this varies quite a bit more. Um, I mean, you know, our our in in our model, the the uh, the ratio of formal training was 20%, but around that 20%, I mean, it could be as low as as 5%. It could be as high as as 35, and and that that accounts for that that variability in, in between those those two uh, guardrails accounts for the majority of, of people's experiences. So rather than really being a hard and fast rule, what I'm hearing is that um, the right blend in many cases could be, it depends. It depends on the circumstances and the, the, the role of the employee or any number of factors. So, so um, how would a, um, a training manager um, use the, the new research as a guideline, or, or is this really a sort of a perspective in a set of toolbox rather than a, a strict set of parameters? I think the, the way to use the guideline is, I mean, first and foremost is to realize that, that you know, we're, we're not talking about a one-size-fits-all t-shirt here. Um, you know, that 70-20-10, that you know, has, has nice round numbers. They all end in zeros. Um, but is that necessarily best for every company of every size and, and every industry uh, with, with every single different type of mix of employees that you can find un, under the sun? Um, 
mean, I feel like the obvious answer to that would be no, of course it, it wouldn't, wouldn't apply unilaterally like that. Um, and the, the data that we found in our study more or less backs that up. So, so I think for, for learning leaders, the, the takeaway is really uh, that, there, that there is going to be variance in this, that, that what's right for your company isn't, isn't going to necessarily be 70-20-10. It might not necessarily be 55-25-20. Uh, you know, formal training could count for a lot more than that. Uh, On-the-job training could count for a lot less than that. Um, so I, I think it, it's really about optimizing uh, the, the mix of learning experiences that employees are likely to encounter given the nature of their jobs um, and trying to match that with the, with the different types of, of offerings that the, that the company has. So, for instance, um, you know, social learning. Well, if, if you're a remote employee um, and the, the team you work with is all distributed across the, the country, social, social learning is going to be a little bit harder than if you're you know, an employee that goes to an office of 200 people, and so all the resources that you could potentially need are all right around you. And so getting an answer to something is as simple as getting up and walking down the hall. Um, and so every company is going to be different, and the way that this applies to every company will, will be different. And I think that's, that's probably the, the overarching takeaway uh, of the research. Find more on trainingindustry.com, and uh, we look forward to speaking more about this in the future. Thanks for joining us, Tom. My pleasure. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at info at trainingindustry.com or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening to the Training Industry Podcast.